When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to episode 130 of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, ultra marathon runner, and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography addiction recovery program that is helping people like you reclaim their lives from the harmful effects of pornography. If you or anyone that you know is struggling to put pornography behind them once and for all, and trust me, it can be done, then please head over to pathbackrecovery.com. There you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to overcome pornography addiction. Again, that's pathbackrecovery.com. You know, I was able to listen in on a webinar with uh, a colleague of mine. His name's Craig Para. He's actually creator of the Mindful Habit System. And, um, and he made a very good point that uh, whether we call it addiction, whether we don't call it addiction, um, if it's something that you would like to get out of your life, then do all that you can to uh, to get the tools and to put it behind you once and for all. Because again, it can be done. And uh, I, boy, he was uh, he was speaking the truth when he was talking about it in this webinar where he was saying, it "Just I wish we could get guys to the point, or, or men or women, that uh, they don't have to hit any type of rock bottom or some sort of you know being found out or some disclosure or that sort of thing to then finally feel like okay, I got to do something about this because it can be you know the the path back system is a very strength based system that uh, that is going to help people kind of just live a more authentic, fulfilling life. And in, in turn, um, will help you kind of put any kind of a negative behavior behind you once and for all. All right. And please visit Virtual Couch on Instagram. You can find the Virtual Couch page on Facebook. Um, that's new. Previously, I was pointing people simply to Tony Overbay, licensed and marriage family therapist. But again, go like them both. Why not? And if you have a minute and you've enjoyed any of the Virtual Couch podcast material, please um, rate, review, subscribe, pass along, share. Um, and just wherever you get your podcast, that would be greatly appreciated. All right, today, a very, very quick introduction. Oh, and also, please uh, go ahead over to TonyOverbay.com and sign up to find out um, about uh, kind of some exciting things that are coming up, because there, there are some really, really exciting things that are coming up, even more that I've, uh, I've learned about this week, and I, I can't wait to share, so I'm going to try to do a better job of that on the email list. So today, I am interviewing an old high school friend. These are always fun. Uh, this is one of those things where here I am doing my whole therapy thing, the... 30-year reunion was coming up, and I find out that one of my old classmates, um, Kevin Pugh, is now Dr. Kevin Pugh, and uh, he is a professor in the School of Psychological Sciences at the University of Northern Colorado. And uh, and he is actually, and I didn't know this. I mean, I've got a couple of my classmates that are doing pretty amazing things I'm going to get on here um, at some point, and, uh, but, uh, but uh, Dr. Pugh is um, it was just fun to connect with him. So he is one of the pioneers, which is really cool in the field of it's called transformative experience theory. Sounds exciting. 
Um, but it's a belief that life is more about having these rich experiences and the things that we learn in school should enrich and expand our everyday experiences outside of school. And it sounds maybe simplistic or it sounds like, well, of course, but um, the way that Kevin lays everything out, I, I do feel like this is one of those things where, again, he's a pioneer in this field and we know that people learn differently. And I feel like this is one of those cases where these experiences or experiential um uh, these uh, these transformative experiences are what truly help teach people concepts and things that they will carry with them throughout the rest of their lives. It's a way to apply the things that you learn in the classroom. So some of what he might talk about, um, you know, if it kind of resonates or rings true, uh, you can contact him. I'll put the, the information of how to contact him up on the show notes. And I know that he is starting to get some of this transformational experiences in education in school systems around the country. So here's a chance to kind of connect with one of these pioneers in the field and just a really, really nice guy. And I think uh, we, we covered this pretty early on. But at one point, I think it might have been in like fifth or sixth grade. Um, I actually had a crush on his now wife. And I think I asked her to go with me as uh, what people did back in the day. What that meant, I really don't even know. So sit back, relax, and, and enjoy this interview with Dr. Kevin Pugh, again, one of the pioneers in this field of transformative experience theory. Okay, so my first thought is, here you are, you're ready for the interview, and you are, you are in a jacket, and you're in Colorado. So as a California guy, <laughs> my assumption is, is it just always freezing there, Kevin? No, it like uh, changes every day. Does it? So, I mean, you never know. Like on just this weekend, I went climbing with my son, uh-huh. 19 now. Wow. On Saturday, it was warm in the 60s, sunny, great. The next day, wake up, four inches of snow on the ground. It was, okay. All right. All right. So that, <laughs> that is, right? Okay. So that, hey, so it's uh, climbing. I mean, and I want to get to our interview, but... Uh, there's a lot going on right now about free climbing. I mean, are you a free climber, Kevin Pugh? No, no, okay. I n- not like Alex Honnold, you know, right. Exactly. Guy who does like, you know, free solo L cap and that. No, uh, I use ropes <laughs> <laughs> or I climb, you know, what they call bouldering, you know, yeah. small boulder and you just fall on a crash pad and it's, not like falling off a 3000 foot cliff. So, <laughs> okay. So, um, and I, I, so my guest, Kevin Pugh, PhD in educational psychology, are you, are you at, with that degree, can you diagnose someone that free climbs as insane or, I mean, you know, or, or just living <laughs> life or what? I mean, cause I, I really just found out about this and I can't believe that like what 3000 foot climbs on rock walls with nothing. Yeah. And so, uh, I think, anyone could diagnose him as insane. <laughs> anyone who does that. I don't think that requires a PhD. That's a fair um, point. Exactly. <laughs> so bad. You but been, he does seem to have like a little bit different brain. Yeah. Uh, you know, like they, uh, you know, did like some brain scans and that, and then the part of the brain, the amygdala that's related to emotions and threat yeah. and that, like, you know, they, it, you know, would like show like threatening pictures and that on a normal person that lights up. Him, like nothing. <laughs> okay, so that's true. I had heard that as a rumor, but so that is true. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. So when people are saying, you know, you might die, I mean, to him, he's like, uh-huh. Um, you know, are you going to eat the rest of that sandwich? I mean, is that, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, so, so the funny part, and uh, so for my listening, well, I probably will have I've gone over this in the intro, but um, 
I, I knew Kevin from way back when we, we went to high school together. I don't know if we went to, where'd you go to middle school? Are you at Eastmont? Indian Hill. You, okay. I was Indian Hills too. Okay. We go way yeah. back. Kevin. Where'd you go to elementary? Yeah, in fact. Yes. So to my wife, JD. Yep. I didn't know if you remember uh, this. Yeah. So you were like her first boyfriend. Yes, I was. Like, sort of. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, as much as boyfriend girlfriends are, she was joking about that. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna. It's funny. I was gonna. I was gonna kind of lead into that as well. There. I mean, you're okay. Continue with the interview, Kevin. Is that all right? We're okay. Yes, I'm okay. Yeah. All right. Because <laughs> um, I do remember. I remember because uh, that was back in the day. I believe that I asked her to go with me. I believe was the correct yep. phrase. Back yep. in the day, right? <laughs> I was frightened of any physical contact. There was no hand holding or anything like that. And I don't remember if it lasted a week or a couple of weeks, but uh, I, yeah. Yeah. Yep, so I think that's JD's memory too. So, yeah. Yeah. True confession. Uh, yeah. I don't know. If, I think my wife knows that. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll write a note that I'll let her, let her know that. Right. So, okay. We both went to the same middle school. So when you talk about climbing and I, I just want to jump right in the Kevin was just, he was one of these guys that just everybody liked. He got along with everybody. And I don't know if, did you know at the time there was a kind of a, um, people would call you and your friends that everyone loved. There was a certain word that was associated. Do you remember what this was? Well, I know eventually they started calling us the granolas. That's it. That Boom. The yeah. Yep. The granolas. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if that's still a thing anymore. I mean, do you know granolas? I don't know. Like it's not in my kids schools here. No. Uh, I haven't heard that term. Okay. Um, what, what was a granola back in the day? I mean, why did we call you that? Uh, well, I, I think it was related to eating granola or something. <laughs> that term came associated somewhere. Yeah. I think mostly we all had a big long mop of hair yep. and walked around with big backpacks yep. and kind of bounced around. With, yeah. As and just, just free spirits. I mean, I just felt like you guys were just free spirits, which was kind of neat. So, I mean, so then when you kind of jumped in there, we were talking about climbing. Um, that That's what I kind of uh, associate with that free spirit as well. Have you been doing, have you climbed ever since? Yeah. And um, so, yeah, mostly pretty, pretty steadily. And then now that, you know, I have older kids mm-hmm. and they're really into it. And so we go... Uh, you know, usually to the gym and we go to the gym together, uh-huh. um, you know, once or twice a week and climb together. And it's really fun, you know, cause it's fun having activities you can do with the kids and, yeah. and then we get out and uh, do the stuff on the real rocks when we can. So. Okay. And tell me, so would you, would you consider any of your kids granola? I mean, did any of them kind of follow in your footsteps? Yeah. So my son is, you know, he loves outdoor stuff, loves climbing works at a <clears throat> boys service ranch each summer where they have them work in the mornings and then they take them on outdoor activities and backpacking trips, Oh wow! Um, you know, on the weekends and that, and, and that's those, I mean, those are the things he loves. Okay. And then uh, other kids to varying degrees. <laughs> okay. Everybody's got a little bit of that granola DNA flowing through their veins. Yeah. Um, yep. so, so I want to, I want to hear, I want to do a little bit of, of a, give me your background, kind of where you went after high school, we, we, where we grew up. And then uh, when, what we want to get to for people that are listening is um, Kevin and I should be calling you Dr. Pugh, uh, but right. 
Okay. Um, oh, but, Kevin's fine. Okay. <laughs> and so Kevin, um, by the way, a woman left my office a few days ago calling me doctor and I'm not, you know, I'm a LMFT, but I, I didn't have the heart to correct her because it just sounded so good. You know? <laughs> um, so, uh, but, but so you're one of the, is in his, is founder a fair way to put it, uh, but of this concept of it's called the trans, the transformative experience. You, yeah. yeah. So, um, so um, after I did my, my undergraduate degree, um, and, and I ended up majoring in psychology, okay. but I really did, I mean, a long time, you know, cause I just loved studying a lot of stuff okay. and I, and I always had an interest in education. Um, do you remember Matt, Matt Bradley, yeah, you know, both of us, um, Hey, wait, true, really, true confession. Uh, now that we're talking yeah. about first girlfriends and stuff, um, Matt's mom was like the first time I ever was like, man, that is, that is a very, you know, I, I thought Matt's mom was just stunningly beautiful. Isn't that funny? <laughs> so, so my, my thought goes there. That's just so funny. Yeah. Uh, now forgive forgive all of, right. Yeah. So forgive all the audience for who's going to have to now Kevin, and I probably going through a uh, memory lane, you know? Okay. So <laughs> you though, uh, interest in, in education. Yeah. And, and, um, so we both, you know, you know, in college decided we'd like to go, you know, into, um, some area of higher education, you'll get a PhD and, and then mm-hmm. teach in a, in a university and um, that. And I almost went into geology, but then I decided that, you know, psychology uh, was what I liked most because, uh, you know, kind of the thing I most enjoyed learning was just about learning itself. Okay. Um, and so I went into educational psychology, which is, um, doesn't have anything to do at least, in, in our program, nothing to do with counseling or that, okay. but about how people learn and about motivation and how those things interact with um, education, both formal and informal and all that. And, and so while, while I was at Michigan State, then we kind of created a group um, that we called the, the Dewey Ideas Group, uh, based on, you know, so John Dewey was one of the real influential educators and philosophers in America. Um, and the, this transformative experience theory came out of, uh, that group. And, and so it's, it's more or less a, a modern application of some of Dewey's ideas about the nature of experience and aesthetic experience and learning to education and specifically to science education. So we're focusing on those applications. So that's kind of where it came from. And, you know, so it was a, a collaboratively developed. And then since um, I've continued to do a lot of work in this area and some of my students and other colleagues have started doing work in that area. And it's so kind of a new emerging growing theory. So, and it really is about then how people learn best. Is that kind of it at its core? Um, well, it, it, it's more about what they do with that learning. Oh. So I like to, I, I always like to joke that the Las Vegas slogan, you mm-hmm. know, that terrible slogan, what happens here stays here. Yeah. But, but that applies too well to education. It's like the learning that takes place in the classroom stays in the classroom and it, it doesn't go anywhere. And, and that's, you know, what I try to, counter and so so a transformative experience 
is when you get the opposite, when students take an idea that they learn in class and they take it into their everyday life and use it to see and experience the world in some meaningful new way. So, so I, I, you're, you're actually saying you, we got to be able to apply the knowledge, right? Yeah. I mean, that, this, um, is good. No, this is good. I mean, it's so funny. I've never thought it now that phrase is going to ring true because it's like, I do feel like I work with people all the time that they, they, they don't know if they want to go to college because they don't want to waste time or, or, or learn things they don't think will be applicable. Or, so, I mean, so you're saying that the whole purpose of education then is fostering these uh, transformative experiences. Yeah. I mean, that's what I like to think, you know, education should really be about, yeah. you know, instead of just acquiring content that kind of stays in the classroom and use it yeah. as a test, that you, you know, learn ideas that allow you to, you know, see and experience the world in, you know, new ways and different ways and that, you know, kind of enriches your life. Okay. Um, you know, and not just in some far different distant future, but in students' immediate everyday experience. So, so what then, I mean, are you okay if we dive into some examples right away? Cause I know that this is that stuff where I, I I'm sure some listeners are going to think, uh, you know, you, you guys are still talking in these ambiguous terms, right? Um, but so <laughs> like what, what are transformative experiences and how, if, you know, applying them from a classroom setting out into the real world, is this a, you know, it takes six months or are you talking about same day stuff or. Yeah. More immediate sort of things. So, okay. um, like an example from one, um, study we did so we were interviewing a so this is a middle school student studying physics and newton's laws and that and um and he was an example of a student who had you know transformative experiences and so he talked about how uh he 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 sort of saw newton's laws everywhere uh and that those ideas are worth learning because they allowed him to see things in a new way in a different way and he was able to give a number of examples so so the best example, mm-hmm. I love this. He talked about, oh yeah, so my niece came over and she was running around the house uh, in her socks and she came running through the kitchen with hardwood floors and uh, she ran through the kitchen, couldn't stop and slid across the kitchen floor and crashed into the door. Uh, and so this student thinks, inertia, <laughs> you know, a child in motion will continue in motion <laughs> until action on by a door. And he gets all excited about this, you know, and is talking to his uncle about how he, uh, you can see, you know, her, his <clears throat> uh, daughter's actions in terms of Newton's laws and all that. And, and he like did this all the time. So, you know, for him, Newton's laws wasn't just, uh, you know, a concept that you learn in the yeah. class. You know, but it was this way that you could make sense of, you know, and he had, you know, lots of examples, um, but, you know, everything from cars crashing uh-huh. to his niece crashing, you know. And, yeah, yeah. And now while she's lying on the floor crying, if he's like pointing this out, maybe not timing might be an issue, but I mean. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, that's kind of neat though. So it's like, so or, or where you're coming from then is, is that the if we kind of changed, I don't know, maybe the whole paradigm of the way that we do learn or the way we teach that then we would be noticing these things all around. Yes. Um, and that, uh, you know, these sort of experiences would just become more common. Mm. Um, and you know, so in addition to then just taking, you know, their ideas into the world, they would be, also developing more interest and value in, in different parts of the world. Okay. So like, 
um, like another example, you know, from a younger student, so a, a fourth grade student, um, this is from a different study and she was learning about geology and rocks and, um, how to tell the story of a rock, you know, about, okay. uh, and all that. And, and, and she commented in an interview that, yeah, you know, like I think about rocks differently than I did before. Like now when I don't have things to do, I, uh, pull out a rock and I'll, uh, think about where it came from and how it formed and what its name to, name is. And then she says, you know, I used to skip rocks down by the lake, but now I can't bear to throw away all those stories. Oh, it's like, how wonderful is that? That is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, you know, so for her, you know, learning about geology uh-huh. um, has now made rocks, you know, this far more interesting thing. And she started a rock collection and all that. And I, so I think, um, you know, and not just in science, but in all the sub subjects, you, you know, so history uh, <clears throat> can really, uh, you, you know, help us to see things like current events and social issues in a new way and to see new meaning and, and ways that sort of bring um, added insight and value to, uh, those those things going on in the world, and, yeah. and so I think education should be about doing that. So, do you feel like the, when you're presenting this, do you run into people that still feel like, okay, that's fine, but you know, it's all about the content. We need to cram as much content as we can. I mean, do you feel like you're running up against that? Yes, yeah. So sometimes um, people do say that, you know, like, oh, you know, this sounds great, but you know, ultimately, you know, what really matters, is I need to learn the content and what we found is that uh, these things are not mutually exclusive. Okay. Um, and they go together. So, um, you know, students who report undergoing transformative experiences, they also display um, uh, better performance on assessments. Um, and, and when you follow up, you know, their learning is more enduring. They're okay. less likely to forget what they learned or, or go back to prior misconceptions. And, and they display um, deeper levels of learning. So able to do some of the things like when you ask them to try to apply that learning to some real world situation, they can do that. Um, probably cause you know, they've been practicing and engaging with it and developing sort of deeper connections between this new knowledge and their, their prior knowledge and their everyday experience. Yeah, so, so, they, so it really goes together. I mean, so it's uh, it's the anti-cramming for a test, right? Because you're not just trying to fill your head with the content, get the test and be done, which is pretty much also known as my uh, undergrad and below experience. <laughs> yeah. And which, you know, and then we do this and kids do this all the time, you mm-hmm. know, cram. Uh, but then what happens, you know, is they, you know, they lose like 80% of the information, you know, yeah. in a relatively period of time. Um, so if the learning is more transformative, they retain it more. It becomes more deeply ingrained in their their overall, you know, conceptual understanding and everything. You know, I'm having an epiphany. So I went, I waited 10 years before I went back to grad school to become a marriage and family therapist. And I remember um, that was an entirely different experience. And I just, I always just say it was because I enjoyed the material finally. But I think really it was because I was, I had four kids and I'd been married for a decade and I had a job. And so I was applying these, the, the family systems theory. And the, I mean, everything that I was learning, I was going, Oh my gosh, this is the dynamic in my home, or this is the experience I had growing up, or this is my relationship with my parents. Right. Right. Yeah. 
And so, uh, you know, it's like all of our education experience should be more like that. Yeah. You, you know, we find that, you know, like learning is much more transformative as, as we get older and especially when it's related to a you know, particular career that we're, mm. uh, we're, we're know we're going into. And if we have some experience in that um, and it, and it can take more work at some of the younger grades in that, yeah. but um, you know, we can certainly do it. We can do a way better job than we're currently doing. <laughs> well, and that's why I was say, so when you're, cause that makes a lot of sense too. The older you get, the more you kind of understand maybe where you, uh, how you view the world and life and what you want to process. So when you're younger, then do you feel like it would almost be this uh, like a spectrum where it starts maybe more content heavy, but moves into transformative? Or do you feel like even younger, it would be more important to set the foundation of transformative experiences? Yeah. And in some ways it's easier with younger kids because they're so excited to learn. Yeah. It's kind of like they start out and, you know, everything's transformative. Like I remember, you know, like when my oldest daughter, she first learned to recognize uh, the letter M Mm. because her name is Kinley. It starts with M and pretty soon the whole world was M, you know, in wood grains, in scribbles everywhere, you know, and it was just so exciting to see that, you know, Uh, and, and young kids are like that. They're, They're like really excited about their learning and they really focus on connecting it to their lives outside of school. And then by the time, you know, they make it to high school, it's like, we've, we've beat a lot of that out of them, you know, uh, and, it's, yeah. <laughs> and it's just not nearly as transformative. Um, and, you know, we need to, uh, <clears throat> I don't know, help them have those transformative experiences. And then it kind of rebounds in college because, okay. I, you know, it's students have more choice. They see more of the connections. But yeah, you know, so we really focus a lot on, you know, middle school, oh, okay. high school, um, and how you can make those experiences more transformative. I, uh, I have to comment cause you threw out the, your daughter's name, uh, McKinley. Is that, you have a McKinley? Mm-hmm. I, I do as yes. well. I do as well. It's kind of a unique, really? yeah, I got a McKinley. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Right. <laughs> um, that is, that's really funny. We named all our kids after mountains. So we have McKinley, <laughs> Sierra, Hayden, which there, there's a couple of Hayden peaks around. Uh-huh. Uh, and then Micaiah, which is after Monica. Okay. And then Emerson, which really was just a name JD really liked. And so we looked up uh, and, found and found a mountain. mountain. Okay. <laughs> so I didn't find it. Yeah. A Mount Ted or a Mount Steve, you know, you can, uh, can apply it that way. Right. But none of your kids got the, the name of Everest or Kilimanjaro or Fuji. You know, come on, Kevin. No, no. Okay. Or your Rupaha or. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. Hey, so, so. Do you feel, and I'm going to go total cliche here, but when you were talking about, we, we kind of beat it out of them, right? So when you get to high school, uh, it made me think of, especially, and I don't know if I'm pulling the kids these days, but I feel like my kids have a ton of homework and I don't remember doing homework. Maybe that was because I was just cramming all the time before tests. Um, first of all, do you remember doing a lot of homework in high school? I did a fair amount. Okay. Um, but... Um, probably not as much as my kids yeah. do. Know. Well, it, it depends on the kids and, and what school and stuff. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so do you feel like though, the cliche I was headed toward is, does the, the, the transformative experience more look at the quality versus the quantity? I mean, are you not as concerned about well, I got to get this much stuff in versus the, if I get one quality transformative experience, now they know, or they understand. 
Yeah, I, yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and uh, one of the problems we sometimes make in schools, we have too much stuff that isn't of value. Mm. Um, and that includes sometimes the content too, that, that uh, we, we don't always think real carefully about what content is kind of the most most important and most powerful. It's kind of like, it's just, it's always been in the curriculum. And so I'm teaching it because it's always in there instead of being real thoughtful about that. Yeah. I'm dying, to ask, you, I'm di- oh, I'm oh, dying to ask you, I'm dying to ask you if, you, if there's some, I was going to make some joke about, you know, a, a class or whatever. And then in my head immediately went to, I'm going to get emails from, you know, if I would have said metal shop, I'm going to get emails from metal shop teachers. <laughs> I'm going to get emails from people that say that metal shops are, they learn their craft. And so I'm dying to know, like, do you, anything come to mind as far as where you're saying, here's some content that's remained just because it's there. Well, <clears throat> I'd have to think through specific. That's okay. No, because you'll, you'll get emails. Kevin. So do, yeah. Don't fall into that. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you gave me a curriculum, I can guarantee I'd go through and it'd be like, okay, I don't, I don't see the purpose of some of this. Gotcha. And it might be that there is a purpose. Right. And it's really important, but it's just, it's been lost. Yeah, and, you know, we're just teaching it because we've always taught it, and we need to go and rediscover the purpose. Yeah. So, so do you feel like uh, you know? So, I, I guess I now, and I'm kind of, I'm really, you know, liking this concept a lot because I'm thinking of uh, now. You got me stuck on my grad school experience, and it, you know, it was like, man, if I would have had that experience in in college or high school, I mean, I just that would have been incredible. So you know, how realistic is it to expect students to have transformative experiences? I mean, especially what would that look like in school? Would it be, would it, would it be a pretty major overhaul of the educational system or what would that look like? Yeah. So, so it's a fair question that, um, and and I don't think you can expect all students to be having transformative experiences with all the content all the time. I mean, it's just, okay. It's just not going to, okay. Um, what, what what we found is like in a typical science classroom, it's like around maybe 10% of the students that just kind of naturally have transformative experiences. Okay. Uh, which is, you know, a, a, a pretty small number. And then when we do um, interventions and work with teachers to, to teach for transformative experiences, then that number jumps up to more like, you know, a third of the students with about half of them that have, you know, at least a piece of a transformative experience, okay. part of a transformative experience. And I think that's more reasonable. So if you can get about half the class for it to be somewhat transformative um, for each unit, um, then, then I think that's much better than, than it currently is. Um, and what you'll find is, you know, different students will connect with, with different content and, and sometimes with different domains. So some students, like, they, they really identify with science. So, so they're more likely to have a transformative exp- experience in science where, where others identify as like an English student. Uh-huh. So as they're reading and studying literature, they, you know, that might be really transformative for them. And they're seeing these literary themes in their everyday lives and using them to make sense of their relationships and the movies that they're watching and it's transformative um, for them in that domain, but maybe not in science. And so 
Um, and I, I think that's okay. Yeah. And, you know, we should just try to make it, um, you know, more likely, more available um, rather than feeling that we're failing if we don't get every student to have a transformative experience all the time. Okay. Well, like, that makes sense. I mean, cause it, yes. And th- thus we don't have to re overhaul the entire uh, educational system to right to make it happen. Do you feel like um, the training needs to start with, is it with teachers? I mean, is it just kind of bringing awareness to this? So a teacher's kind of thinking through more of how can I show them how to apply this concept instead of just how do I, instead of just lecture or, or talk at them? Yeah. So, um, I mean, if you go to talk to almost any teacher and you talk to them about this idea, almost every teacher will say, oh, yes, uh, this is, is what I um, believe in. This is what I think is important. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and they'll be able to talk about strategies that they have to try to make the learning more transformative. Uh-huh. Um, and, and so I think a lot of teachers are already trying to do this, but they often don't have um, you know, a a full set of strategies or training on how to do that. Okay. And so, um, you know, my colleagues, we've, um, you know, done various studies and, and, and from those put together a model, um, for teaching for transformative experiences. Okay. Um, and so, and, and we found that that, um, that that model helps teachers to kind of go beyond where they are already and to, you know, have more success and making the learning transformative for more students. How, so how does the teacher get that? I mean, are, is that something, is it a book or is it an online training or does their school district need to kind of buy into this concept? So, um, yes. <laughs> um in 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 most cases where you know in our research projects like we're working one-on-one with these teachers okay um and, and we do have some available materials and i can remind me to i will I can tell about where where people can find those okay that'd be cool um yeah. but we'll go in and start collaborating and talking with you know the teachers about um you know a unit and how we might um, make this more transformative. Uh, and the, the model that we have, so th- th- there's various strategies in it, but it might, might help to just mention two of the main okay. principles. So one is um, w- what I refer to as artistic crafting of the content. Okay. Um, so, you know, just like an artist, when they uh, create something, uh, they're, they're very thoughtful and reflective and selective. So they, they don't just put all the words in a poem or everything in a composition in a painting, but they're very thoughtful about what to include, what to exclude. And then they craft it together uh, in a particular way so that it evokes a certain experience. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, and as, as teachers, we can do the same thing that, you know, be, be very thoughtful about what we select to teach, you know, what, what content has the most potential to be transformative for these particular students that I'm working with. Um, and then craft it, frame uh, the content in ways that uh, one, create some sort of anticipation about wow. acting on the content, trying it out in everyday life. And two, help them see the relevance of that content in their everyday experience. So, um, 
like I, I like to show my students clips from the movie Dead Poet Society. Have you seen that? Oh yeah, yeah, you movie? bet. Yeah, and because uh, I think it's a great example of how you can you know frame the content in this way. Um, so like when when Mr. Keating, the teacher, when he introduces uh, poetry and literature, uh, he doesn't frame it in terms of the idea that oh we're we're doing this because you know, it's going to help you pass the class. It's going to help you get good scores on the SAT and get into the Ivy League schools. No, it's all things like, no matter what anyone tells you, words and ideas can change the world. And we don't read and write poetry because it's cute. We read and write poetry because we are members of the human race. And the human race is filled with passion. So, you know, what he does is he frames the purpose of you know this content as wow it's this amazing thing that has relevance in your everyday life and and often we just don't take enough time to frame the content um in those ways and and even to take the time to sit and think it think it through like i said before you know we often just teach stuff because it's in the curriculum and it's always been in there yeah And, and we've sometimes lost sight of what its transformative potential is so we can go back rethink about that and then help our students to kind of catch that vision of how this content um, can be amazing and, and, and uh, such a wonderful thing in their everyday lives. Um, so, that, so that's one thing that we um, focus on, and, and, and there's lots of ways of, of going about that. And then another principle is what we refer to as um, an experiential apprenticeship okay um which uh, you know again involves various things but it's it's providing modeling and scaffolding and support um so that students uh you know can be supported in having these experiences so so like in terms of modeling so i'm going to talk about my own transformative experiences Mm -hmm. because i'm teaching something then i'm going to share with my students um you know, like, oh, you know, we've been uh, talking about, you know, air pressure and, you know, we were driving up to the uh, ski resort and my ears were popping and I was thinking about, oh, this was air pressure, you know. uh, So when you go, you know, skiing, you'll think about that. Oh, funny side story. Okay. You you could edit this out if you need to. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But (laughs) not too many years ago, uh, we went skiing uh, and we're driving over this high pass and our youngest, she was like two or three at the time and her ears were bugging her yeah. uh, from the air pressure. Uh, and, I, and I said, you know, here, here, do you want some fruit snacks? They can help your ears. Cause you know how chewing on something yeah. can help your ears pop. So she was okay. And then, you know, a few minutes later, I ah, fruit snacks <clears throat> help my ears. And I look back and she has a, <laughs> fruit snack in each ear <laughs> okay so and from this day forward whenever she gets an earache she's like where's the fruit snacks where's the fruit yeah yeah okay i hope yeah i hope you didn't correct that kevin i hope you let that kind of let that one slide yeah yeah okay. we, we laughed so the um but the, but the point there would be that um so i i can share my experiences like that and then i can help students identify 
opportunities that they have to apply the content. And we often use this term with the students, like to, to re-see the world, okay. to re-see it through the lens of this content. So, um, you know, like we'll, we'll sit down and talk with them about, okay, so where, where else might you have this opportunity to re-see air pressure? Where is air pressure going on in your world? And they'll start talking about that. So it can go from like, you know, the going to the ski resort example to start thinking about a number of different other parts of their everyday lives that might involve air pressure. Yeah. And then um, sometimes, you know, you know, then it can become more formal scaffolded experiences to help them to do sort of this deeper level re-seeing. So um, like, like these examples I'm drawing somewhat from uh, a recent study, research study we did with a um, teacher who was a middle school science teacher, earth science teacher. Okay. And it was a, a larger meteorology unit. So it covered things like air pressure and heat transfer and how that related to weather. And so, um, you know, we have all the kids and, you know, they gather in a circle and then share some of their stories of their wild weather experiences. Uh, they talk about everything from, uh, you know, snowstorms to windstorms to hailstorms to some of you've been in a hurricane and things like mm -hmm. that. And, and then the teacher would help them to, to re-see those experiences in terms of these concepts that they were learning in science and that would usually be okay but the kids would always be more interested in the story of like the trampoline blowing over the fence than yeah than actually talking about the science and so then what we do is, is create case studies out of their own experiences okay uh and so put their own words and their own names in there and create a case study of like being in a, a hailstorm and then they would research those experiences which mm -hmm. was similar to what they'd done before you know you know there's these work workbooks with with weather case studies that they would answer and it was similar kinds of questions but instead of being about some case study in a book it was about their own experience okay and that made all the difference yeah right so then it's they, they yeah. were all engaged you know and it helped them to you know start making the learning transform like oh you know so in school you know i can learn how you know, this hellstorm I was in and now I all know how to do it. And then when they're outside of school and, you know, they get caught in a hellstorm or it's just yeah. windy and that, they're much more likely to start thinking about in terms of the science ideas. Oh, you know, it's like, I bet we have a high and a low pressure going on and that's why it's so windy now. Yeah, I love it. So, hey, um, I, I want to, I'm curious, how does this affect uh, ACT score, ACT test, SAT test, all the standardized testing. I mean, is this, would it, would it be ideal to be able to fit? I don't even know what, what that would look like. Right. Um, but fitting some of this in there or would, what are your thoughts? So, um, yeah, th those tests are usually focused on quite a different kind of learning, I guess mm -hmm. that, um, that, um, so like, you know, like I said earlier, if students have transformative experiences, mm -hmm. then their learning is going to be better. It's going to be deeper and more enduring, and that'll help them do better. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Okay, so it's not that there has to be one or the other, but the transformative experience, how do you get that to teach the concept? So then on the test, now you're going to ace it. Yep. Okay. 
But on the other hand, you, you know, you know, because now we we live in a um, sort of a time when there's a lot of emphasis on the standardized testing. Yeah, and it, and it there's a lot of it done, and uh, so that you know often can have a a, a negative effect on whether the learning is transformative or not. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't have to. Yeah, but it it does, and it does more so in in, in like lower income schools where there's more pressure to do mm-hmm. well on the tests. Um, because what happens is um, then it the, the, those tests put so much pressure and and focus on on just the learning outcomes themselves, and it's like okay you know, I got to make sure I cover all this content because it could be on the test. Right. So I don't have time to focus on really making it transformative for a couple of the big ideas. Um, and it, it, you know, it's like, oh, you know, I just can't worry about focusing on this transformative stuff. I just got to make sure, uh, you know, I cover the necessary stuff. And it's so, so I mentioned John Dewey before. Yeah. Um, and uh, he had a, a a metaphor that I really liked, where, where he compared the curriculum to a map, okay, um, and said, um, you know, the, the map is is a great guide for experience, but it shouldn't be a substitute for experience. And 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 by that he meant, so like you know, maps are great. So I'm lucky enough to live, you know, just an hour from Rocky Mountain National Park. And so I enjoy looking at maps of Rocky Mountain National Park, but their real value is in, you know, guiding an experience, you know, allow me to mm-hmm. find a new hike or new lake to go fishing or place to go climbing and things like that. And, um, and, and Dewey was saying like, like the real value in the curriculum is it's, is in its potential to guide experience, to be like a map that allows okay. us to have experiences in the world and to enrich and expand our everyday lives. But what he was really concerned about, and, and this applies to today as well as his days, is that the curriculum, the map, becomes a substitute for experience. It becomes the end unto itself. Oh. So we focus on the purpose of education is just to make sure I learn this content instead of the purpose being to learn this content so that I can use it to enrich and expand my everyday life. And so that, so, so the emphasis on standardized tests, and like I said, it doesn't have to be, but, but sometimes this is what happens is schools and teachers and and parents too. (laughs) You get so focused on that, that we let the map substitute for the actual experience. No, that makes sense. I mean, cause I do feel like there's so much pressure and, and that uh, the kids just, they're, they're almost in a, in a, a state of panic of, I got to just do whatever it takes to get the number. And that's it. You know, Yeah. whatever it is. Um, Hey, I've only got you a few more minutes. I want to, I, we got to get your book, you know? Okay. <laughs> okay. So, so this is kind of cool. Um, talk about it. You recently published a book and I think it's for teachers, right? Yes. So, it's, it's a book on learning for um, teachers, and but, but really also for parents and students and anyone interested in learning. Hey, and I got to tell you, though, I got to say, Kevin, that oh, I booked you not having any idea that you had a book. So I, this is that part where it's going to sound like, uh, 
you know, you were, you were reaching out to, Hey, you got a podcast, get, get me on there and talk about the book. And you're sending all, when we were trading some notes, you're like, PS, I, I, you know, I don't know if you want to talk about it. I've got a book. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, that's, that's the coolest thing ever. And uh, I have to tell the name of the book is computers, cockroaches and ecosystems, understanding, learning through metaphor. Right. Yes. You love it. All right. Back to you. Talk about the book. Okay. So I, I wrote this for my students. Okay. So, so I've been teaching teachers and, and pre-service teachers uh, for about 20 years now. Wow. And, and, and I've never really been satisfied with the books on learning because they're, I mean, the big problem, they're all textbooks. They're, they're, there's way too much information in there that they're, they're kind of overwritten and they're, they're, they're boring. No one likes reading them. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like the writing of the book violates all the principles on, on learning in the book. Um, so, and, and I'm exaggerating. So right, right. I, yeah. I, you know, so I finally decided like, okay, I'm, I'm going to write, you know, my own book um, for my students um, and, and, and try to make it just more engaging and more accessible. And so it can be a book that, you know, that someone, you know, like a parent um, would enjoy reading. And so, you know, one of my insights after teaching about learning for 20 years is that, that most of the, um, the things we know about learning can be summarized in a few key metaphors. Okay. So the book focuses on these key underlying metaphors. And so that's where the title comes from. Uh, so, you know, like, <clears throat> you know, the mind is ecosystem is a, a foundational metaphor. Okay. The mind is computer is another foundational metaphor. And, and, so, and so I write about those metaphors, but, but with a lot of stories and, and interesting cases and things, you know, so it's not just a textbook. Well, tell, okay. So tell, I mean, I would love, if you don't mind, uh, a couple out of those, like mind is ecosystem or mind is cultural tools or mind is computer. Give, uh, give us uh, give us a little, a little, little taste of that a little flavor. What does that look like? Okay. Give me your favorite. So, so, uh, mine is ecosystem is a really good one. Okay. I think. And, and, and this comes from, from Piaget and, and who, who was a, uh, <clears throat> psychologist and, and, um, other people who've done work in the area of, of what we call constructivism and that, mm. but it, you know, so when we learn, we often think of it as, okay, my learning is I'm just taking new information and I'm adding it into my brain and, and building on some prior knowledge and that. Uh, but the, you know, the mind of the ecosystem uh, metaphor would say, ah, uh, no, it's not that simple. It's more like, you know, like, like your brain, your mind is comprised of an ecosystem of ideas. Okay. So there's all these ideas and it's dynamic and they're interrelated and um, that ecosystem has this huge influence on your learning. So the way in which you simply make sense of the world is going to partly be dependent on your existing ecosystem. Um, so people with different ecosystems will look at the same data, the same events and things like that, but understand it, make sense of it in very different ways and come to different conclusions. Okay. Um, and... That and, and and this becomes a big issue, um, you know, especially in science education because you know so students will have a lot of these existing ideas about the world, and a lot of time you know so they're presented some new ideas, 
But the problem is those new ideas, they don't fit with their existing ecosystem. Yeah. So it's just like, you know, it never takes root. Um, and, and what we're, you know, trying to bring about is like what we'd call an invasive species. Okay. You know, so an invasive species is like when you introduce, uh, you know, some non-native species into an environment and it takes over and, uh, you know, causes all sorts of change throughout the ecosystem. This is where I wish I was some comic book guy where I could be like, yo, you mean like in whatever, where the thing comes from space and all of a sudden, right. You know, but I, I got nothing, but okay. But I like this concept though. And I'd have example to you, that I, oh, you got one. Uh, yeah. So the example I haven't used like the, uh, so, uh, we used to go and, uh, up to Yellowstone, and fish the Yellowstone river when it would open, you know, they had an opening day and you'd catch all these beautiful, uh, Yellowstone cutthroat. Uh Well, then somebody illegally planted lake trout in Yellowstone Lake. Okay. And like wiped out the cutthroat and that affected like the whole ecosystem, the bears, the pelicans that used to come by and, and the whole, um, you know, had this huge effect throughout the whole, you know, so that's what a, an an ecosystem is like and and that's really what we're trying to do in education is uh throw a trout in there every now and again yeah (laughs) (laughs) uh, you know get some invasive idea that comes in there and reconstructs your your conceptual ecosystem i think Um, you know in in the work that i do i mean that's so funny you say that i'm i'm doing a marriage therapy where somebody's saying no basically here's my ecosystem here's my schema here's like here's my view of what a marriage should look like because this is what i saw with my parents or whatever and then somebody else and i'm trying to even say oh no here's like this productive evidence-based way to communicate and they're like whoa 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 i i don't i don't know what that even means like this stuff i'm using your stuff kevin this is good yeah yeah Mm. and so you know there's stuff in there about the you know under okay so what conditions do we need for us to actually be willing to you know change our ecosystem what will we call you know undergo conceptual change and yeah um and how do you support that and um <clears throat> so on so the book goes through a number of metaphors like that and with um sort of general implications about what it means for me as a learner uh, as well as me as a teacher and so you oh, look at it from either perspective no i do i do oh uh all right, I'm going to link to your book. It's on Amazon, right? Yes. Uh, and then, yeah. and then I'll have the link to your website. Where can where can people find you? You've got some good stuff on your website, right? Yeah, so I have a blog um, and a website. So, so it's called the the Learning and Experience Blog. Okay. They just Google that and okay. my name, Kevin Pugh. It should come up. And, and I'll, I'll, and I'll yeah, and I'll link to everything in my on the in the show notes too. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Um, and then. So, so like the blog, you know, so people want to learn more about transformative oh, yeah. experience theory. Yeah. Um, and these ideas, a, a number of my blogs relate to that. Okay. Like one of the recent ones is, is about, um, uh, what did I title it? Something like the sterilization of education, okay. how schools practice the pedagogy of umbrage. So, you know, umbrage from the Harry Potter books. Okay. All right. That's where I was going. I'm like, wait a minute. Maybe I don't know what that word means. Okay. All right. <laughs> no, yeah. So, you know, like she deliberately tries to make learning non-transformative right. at Hogwarts by just teaching theory. Okay. Uh, and it's like, at schools, 
this is what we unintentionally do. We often do the same thing. We get focused just on teaching sort of abstract theory in a way that then makes the learning non-transformative. So, you know, so I wrote a blog about that. And, and you know, so there's, there's a number of blogs related to. Hey, that's perfect. That is. Is that Zumber's the one that's, uh, did Harry have to scratch stuff in his hand or whatever? Was that, was that that one? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Very bad She's person. She's like the most evil character in all of literature. Yeah. yeah, of course. And they make her a teacher, Kevin. That had to have offended you during that whole, uh, the whole series, right? Uh, uh, Dr. Kevin Pugh, thank you so much for taking the time today. Um, this was, this was a lot of fun. So I know our next project then we're going to collaborate on a book where we do the, the mind is ecosystem with marriage therapy, you know, and, and, and figure out how to get that, uh, invasive species, AKA the lake trout involved in, in the whole thing. There so. you go. I like it. Hey, great to talk to you. Uh, please tell, um, your wife and my first kind of girlfriend uh, that I said, hi. Okay. I will. Okay, I'm going to hit stop here, but hang on just a second. Flying past our heads and out the other end. The pressures of the daily grind is wonderful. Elastic waste and rubber ghost are floating past the midnight hour. They push aside the things that matter most. Ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. 
Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.